Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody. This is our Recommend to Refute episode where we each talk about a different movie that we watched this past week. I'm your host, Michael Dixon. With me, as always, John Garcia. Hey, yo. Happy to be here. What's up? And then our special guest, Matthew, is back. What's up, Matthew? Hey, what's up? A.K.A. Gino Hino. That's right. A.K.A. Gino. Gino Hino in the house. We've been split naming him this whole time. Honestly, I'm loving it. (laughs) I noticed this. Yeah. I I call him sport. (laughs) I call him my dude. (laughs) It works out. Oh, man. Cool. All right. Well, I'm excited to get into this. Uh, John, what did you watch this week? So uh, I went and saw a little piece of slow cinema after Bo is Afraid. Uh, It's called Showing Up, and it is not the movie that I'm talking about. But I went and saw it with some friends who were very down on it. Some friends were kind of up, but the friends who were down on it were like, that movie was too slow for us. And I was immediately like, you guys want to see some shit? Um, So (laughs) I invited him over to my place. Uh, and showed them Redline. Redline's rule book says you can do whatever the hell you want to the competition. You want to play fair, you're either going to get left in the dust or dead or... Uh, it's a 2009 animated feature. Wait, so you watch Bo is Afraid showing up and Redline all in the same day. That uh, is some fucking whiplash. Yeah, man. yeah, that's, no, uh, definitely. That's how it goes. Um, okay. <laughs> some stamina right there. Got your, your peaks and your valleys uh, of time, I should say, not quality necessarily. Um, so, uh, yeah, I invited them over and I pitched them on it. I was like, look. This is like the animated Fast and the Furious. It's got a uh, hundred thousand hand animated frames in it. They're just beautifully rendered. Would you say that it's about family? It is about family at the end of the day <laughs> and winning a race. Nice. <laughs> Actually, according to the end screen of the movie, it's about love. But it's what close about enough. what about product placement? Um, I was there a product. Are there placement? Coronas in the movie? There's not a Corona, but there is a Trans Am that's in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, is the only car that seems to be uh, recognizable, and everything else is a spaceship or some shit. Okay. Okay. Um, but if you're like a fan of wacky racers, and the Wachowskis Speed Racer was a bit too much for you, Ooh. this movie is going to be uh, a little more palatable, I would say, and deliver the same kind of like high pressure, high action thrills that, uh, that, that other movie speed racer was trying to deliver on. Um, but this time they're all beautifully rendered and drawn and colored. And it just has this like liquid vibe to it. When you're, when any of the characters are racing, the cars like stretch and distort in a way that really gives you this heart pumping sense of speed. And I've always told everybody that this movie is the equivalent of visual cocaine. Cause when I watched it the first time, It was like a Thursday night and this was like way before we had a podcast. We watched it as part of a movie club Mm -hmm. and I just remember I put it on at 11 o'clock at night and that was the wrong choice because when the credits (laughs) rolled at 1230 fucking jacked, I could not sleep. I had to like run like circles in my house and like do pushups and I was just like, I got to work off all this adrenaline from how absurd it is. And um, whenever fast nine got delayed because of the pandemic, 
some buddies of mine were like, man, we're not going to get to see anything that's cool and has racing in it. Yeah. And I was like, I got something for you too. <laughs> so this is like the Mary Poppins of fucking speed racing. Good times where it could just drop into your life. And you're like, I never knew that I needed this. And then yeah. it leaves just as fast. And you're like, I feel better just for knowing it. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's my recommendation. Redline. Nice. Uh, yeah, I did watch this, um, not with you, but at the same time as you a couple years ago and thoroughly enjoyed it. It's just absolute batshit crazy. Like if they, if they animated fast and the furious, kind of what it would be like even more over the top, than those movies there's a weird like nuclear creature called funky boy there's like all this crazy shit in it that's a ton of fun and uh yeah i loved it is there anything that like new that you picked up this time that you appreciated um really it's way more just the visual appreciation i love seeing some of the frame stretch and some of the animations that are really subtle like there's a character talking to the main character's name is sweet jp that's just his full name everybody <laughs> calls him that um, and he's kind of a greaser type who has a pompadour and a switchblade comb, just a real badass. Uh, and he's talking at one point to his engineering manager who, uh, or like the guy who's overseeing his car being put together, the engineer he has. And he is like, I need to be able to pop like three caps of nitro in this thing. And the guy's like three caps. And immediately his like face shield drops onto his face and he brings it back up with one hand. He has four hands, which like that's just an artistic challenge in its own. Like drawing <laughs> hands is fucking hard as shit. And these artists want to apparently suffer and just challenge themselves. So I started noticing more of those things. Like it's a scene where a character just like spews beer all over the screen. And every droplet is like lovingly arced and drawn in, in that way. And just that amount of detail put into something they're constantly mess. Like the animators, it, I haven't seen a movie that made me pray for the hands of artists since like who framed Roger rabbit or yeah. uh, even I guess like the thief and the cobbler to an extent just for uh, Richard Williams's hands. But yeah, like it, it's just beautiful. And it's one of those where you don't think about how smooth everything is until you really start watching it again and again with your friends and you'll see these things and be like, Holy shit. They really didn't have to animate that much, but they did. They went all in. Um, they did a slow motion sequence in that movie too where like glass is breaking and water's pouring out of shit. And it's not like jarring storyboarded slow motion. It's like buttery smooth frames per second. Kind of this is insane for somebody to animate slow motion. So yeah, that's what I picked up this time around. I was like, Holy fuck. This, this is just great. Yeah. Nice. I saw this like 10 years ago, I think. And uh, I haven't seen it since, but what still is present in my memory is like, one is the soundtrack, and one, and the second one is just the actual sound effects. Um, first, the soundtrack is just so catchy. Like, it's the film is already like really fast paced, but the soundtrack adds like the second layer and just like accelerates everything even more. Um, and then the sound effects, I re I recall just like the revving of the engine, just like as the title in, in like is in, implying the redlining of the cars, like. It's so high adrenaline, and uh, even like since I haven't seen it for a while, but that's still like it's so like present and so like intensely felt, even though it's been so long now. Um, did you guys enjoy the soundtrack as well? And what oh, did you yeah. think of the sound? I, I know that it's funny because I was reading through some reviews, and some people hated that it had this EDM style soundtrack, but it it creates that same kind of heart pumping, thrilling energy that like. I don't know. The only other score I can really remember that 
taps into like my heartbeats was uh um like Dunkirk soundtrack has a certain uh attunement to it where it's just like dum, 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 and you kind of pick up that same subconscious rhythm and this has that like thumping bass and the engine's roaring and it really resonates in that way where I'm like holy fuck how is this going to get how could this get any more crazy and it constantly raising those stakes at the same time that the score is elevating like always um and then it'll cut to like moments where there's no score and everybody's just talking about the politics of <clears throat> these racers racing illegally on uh, a fascist world called robo world um <laughs> And even that, it gives you just a tiny respite. And then immediately it's back to like the, and everybody's just fucking like going hard into the street. Like at one point, somebody's car just fucking flips upside down and starts spinning and skipping across water. And that's how they just drive. It's like, what the fuck is happening at any point in this movie? (laughs) So good. The main thing I remember from Redline is when Vin Diesel was like, I don't have friends. I got family. (laughs) I would love to see a fast crossover with this. I, uh, it would just be amazing. I don't think Vin Diesel knows it's a, a thing. I think we needed to send him a copy or something like Vin, you got to get on this, man. <laughs> Fast and Furious 11 is, is animated. Yeah, yeah, that would dude. If they, uh, they set that up with like a five minute intro where he goes so fast, he rips a hole into another dimension. <laughs> and then he's suddenly animated. That's the love space it. jam two We deserved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, John with like both times you saw it did you see them both with uh, like the English dub or the Japanese dub I've done both Um, I've actually seen it I guess five times now and it's one of those where the the English dub is good enough for what the movie is that I can watch that just as well as I can the subs Um, in some instances I prefer watching the English dub for this particular movie but uh, I'm usually a subs guy, so yeah, I would say they, they balance out pretty well. Right, There's some stuff here. that's like, I think probably doesn't translate the same way. Um, but it, it works out because at the end, all that matters is the visuals and the racing. There's not as much of a, you need to hear this certain line delivered this way from this character. Like for instance, there's a scene <laughs> yeah. where, um, cherry boy Hunter is the name of the character. <laughs> uh, um, Sonashi McLaren, that's her full name, which is great. Uh, she's in she's like a hunting for bar? boy cherries. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out, Bo. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So she uh, she's in like a diner, and JP approaches her, and the English dub has a really awkward line delivery where she says she gives a pause and starts thinking about her life and her dad and how much he loved cars, and then she goes guess what you can go and it like lands so flat and has there's no in-between pause for it to make any sense on the english side and i feel like in the japanese it just it resonates way more it makes a lot more sense the way that she's saying it so there's a bit of that but doesn't detract from how high octane everything gets and how absurd it all is so yeah right right cool cool all right, uh, Matthew, what do you have for us? Sure. So uh, my pick, I'm kind of cheating here because I saw this a couple months ago. Um, it's the uh, documentary to All About Lily Shushu, which is called All About All About Lily Shushu. Take three. 
In 2001, Shunji Iwai gave audiences a reflective glimpse of adolescent hardships in the budding era of online connectivity with All About Lily Shushu. Now, join him as he examines the origins of the story, the film's production, and the fictional pop idol at the center of it in his all-encompassing documentary, <laughs> All About, All About Lily Shushu. Good title. So, uh, All About Lily Shushu is by um, Shunji Yawai, who's done a lot of like really incredible films. If you look at his filmography, it's just like every film is different. Like Love Letter, April Story, like... Well, maybe those two I, are as, as examples are somewhat similar, but like if you look at that compared to All About Lily Shushu, this is like totally left field. Um, and I guess I should probably give a little bit of a background to the actual movie itself before I dive into the making of documentary. But um, All About Lily Shushu is about um, kind of just like these teenagers, they're all like living these really fucked up lives, they're isolated, they are depressed, angry about the world, um, and, and mind you, this is, like, in 1999, kind of like the birth of the internet, um, and what unites them all is the, this, uh, singer named Lily Shushu, who is kind of, like, their, their object of desire, in a way, they are all interacting with each other unknowingly online, um, in this forum, and so, like, a lot of the film features a lot of, uh, just like text on the screen, like almost like in the Matrix, this this binary, like green text on screen, just showing you like what the message is on the forum. Um, which again, this movie came out in like the late '90s, so it's pretty revolutionary in in trying to explain like the nature of online connection. Um, which, I mean. I'm, I'm gonna plug another movie here. It's called Haru. It sounds very similar to Haru. Ask, I was yeah. like, wait a minute, are you talking about Haru? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like this, um, and, and because of their anonymity, they're like, uh, they're interacting with in real life as well. And you see like this incredible contrast between who they are online versus who they are in real life, which is like again prescient, like Haru is, and that's predicting the way we're behaving now in the future, like 20 years later after the movie's made. So it explores this dynamic and then there's like kind of three chapters uh, or three or four, if I remember correctly. And um, really like the the film itself is more of a portrait rather than just like a straight narrative. Um, but it does so incredibly well. It's like almost like a, like a Nirvana song, like, like made into a movie it's just so grungy but it's so effective as well at doing so um so there, there's a lot of love for this film like if you go on twitter you go on tiktok go on instagram like people like love this film it's a cult film um but i had never heard of this documentary called all about all about lily shushu until just like a couple months ago um and and how i found it was like how I found, like, a copy of it was pretty weird. Like, someone on Letterboxd had, like, posted in the comments to this Google Drive where it was, like, there's a copy. Um, this thing is, like, really hard to find. Um, <laughs> yeah. but That's why I can't find it on Yeah, IMDb. after <laughs> finding it, it's, like, it's only... <laughs> yeah, like, it's only an hour long as well. But, the fil- like, the documentary itself covers the pre-production 
and then a, bit, a little bit of the filming itself. Um, it doesn't talk about like how it was made, like how it was edited, the post-processing itself, which is a little bit unfortunate. So it's kind of left a mystery as to how they put it together in the editing room. But um, what's cool is that Shinji Uai is like a really idiosyncratic director. Um, like he, I, I, I'm not totally sure if this is true or not, but it's said that like he doesn't really read any books, doesn't consume much media, doesn't try to watch too many movies. Like everything he makes is like not inspired by something. It's just totally of his own imagination, hmm. which in itself is like, one way to motivate you to watch his movies because they're so just really different from what you've ever seen before. Um, So what's cool about the making of is like you like there's a lot of stuff that is revealed um, that's like really surprising. So I'm going to spoil it a little bit here. But um, one thing is that this is this was like the pre-production started in like 1996 or so. And this film was like actually some way in some ways like crowdsourced online on a forum in 1996 um they had like a bunch of people on the forum like basically all together write the script in a way so i think it was like maybe some sort of contest or something i don't remember the details interesting here, that sounds but, horrible um, <laughs> yeah well, that in itself, yeah. it's dangerous territory it's kind of like crazy like unimaginable for that time and uh that's wild they so they they are crowdsourcing this um movie and and like that also ties into the theme of online connection so like people are developing a film about connection who are also connect like connecting with each other while making the film it's like kind of this kind of uh inception thing going on here um and then there's a lot of like just really interesting things going on like one is like um there's like a choir sequence inside Alba Lily Shushu and it turns out like I don't th- like he Shunji Iwai like wrote the actual music for the choir to sing and it's like this incredibly hard um tune that he's like written and it's like they have to rehearse and oh my god like if you watch it like it's so tiring because they cannot get this right they have to do so many takes um and also like these are kids like they're just like being bossed around with this director for for days (laughs) probably and trying to get this right for him and it's (laughs) it's so excruciating and then there's another part where uh one of the main characters uh he has to do a scene like 64 times 64 takes and then it turns out like i'm making the movie it's like a kubrick scenario yeah (laughs) so like, it I sounds think, like it, yeah. Yeah, I think Tom um, Cruise, like Kubrick, made Tom Cruise walk through a door like ninety times, <laughs> the eyes wide shut. Harvey Keitel like walk oh off gosh. of a Kubrick <laughs> set because he just got fucking fed up with that shit. Uh, I don't know. I'm pretty sure Harvey Keitel <laughs> said he fucking quit. He was like, "I'm done with this." <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's not in any Kubrick movies, so maybe <laughs> he, he was gonna be. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, go on. And uh, yeah, yeah, like. Um, and then there's like kind of getting the perspective of the actors themselves in this film is quite interesting because it seems like some of them are just so like into the role. Like they there's like a scene where they're talking about like the last filming day for some of them and they're just like bursting out in tears and like how 
just the just all that emotion that's pent up from playing those characters just like finally there's like a release valve so um that was just like awesome like very interesting to see um and then the last thing i'll mention here is that uh somehow like hideaki anno makes an appearance he's like the creative evangelion and uh <laughs> i think a couple really famous directors showed up on one of the filming days um which is like this and kind of like if you, a lot of people probably seen this picture of uh um who is it it's like choi min sik from old boy appearing on set of um what was that film i think it was like a bong joon ho's memories of murder like somehow they were filming mm. at the same time and this totally reminds me of that like all these famous directors just like appearing on set for this specific scene um yeah i mean i would recommend it because it's uh you you kind of have to watch all about lily shushu first hey he's breaking the rules immediately he's double <laughs> recommending <laughs> if you've seen like other japanese cinema you'll really enjoy this uh it's just so many things coming to life here um it's also like a piece of history really um so yeah I'm, i am double recommending but uh, it's like we, part we, of the film's like spirit worthwhile. i'm being rebellious yeah <laughs> yes that's cool uh which did you prefer the actual feature film or the documentary about the the movie damn that's a good question right i <laughs> i still <laughs> definitely prefer the film um actually like now that i think of it like uh after yang had like a cover of one of the uh, songs inside All But Lily Shushu by Mitski. Oh, I didn't know that. I um, loved that movie. That was so in like, my top 10 last year. It's fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. And uh, I was just so surprised to see that song in there because I, 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 the soundtrack in All But Lily Shushu is like, equally amazing. Um, but I definitely prefer the movie. It's uh, The documentary is like well-made. It's informative. But I would kind of stop at informative because... It doesn't go, it doesn't like play with form. It doesn't like try to um, kind of be abstract in any way in, in the same way the movie is. It's more so like it is kind of purely a factual account of what happened, uh, which is still really cool. But um, still, the, the, the film itself is just the aesthetic, the era, the topics and the themes. It's undefeated. That's cool. Yeah, I would say, you know, I'm I'm of the opinion. I wonder if you are too, um, Gino, that like a supplementary documentary for a film should enhance the film itself at best. At worst, it just tells a series of pop culture's interesting stories. Um, and it sounds like this one <laughs> tells the struggles and the strife of the production and it would be something that enhances the actual movie, like when you're watching it, because now you keep track of at least two trains of thought, which is, holy shit, they had to go through all this for these particular scenes. But the other thing is like the actual emotional experience the film conjures in you. And this sounds like a fucking great documentary for that. It's very cool. Yeah, it's very, very cool. That's awesome. I'm not familiar with that director. Um, if I were to seek him out and try to watch some of his movies, what do you think is a good entry point? Mm. 
It's a very good question because like all his films are so different. Um, he sounds fascinating. I think the from first what you said. intro that a lot of people get. Yeah, um, the first intro I think a lot of people get is "Love Letter," um, which is I think from either 1995 or 1996. Um, I'm pretty much pulling this fact from Wikipedia, but like it's it's one of the first Japanese films to appear in Korea, like South Korea, um, after the ban on Japanese media. Um, and it was like a box office hit. Um, it's about this woman trying to get over her, the death of her, I believe, fiance. And it's kind of this emotional journey towards the end. And it's, it's so like it, the, the mainstream appeal is, is really quite there, but the cinematic value is also just, it's again, like this director is so idiosyncratic, like his fingerprints are all over it. Um, so that's an easy film to get into. I personally really like uh, April Story as well. It's kind of like, um, in a way, it's kind of like if you imagine like the lo-fi beats for Hip Hop Girl Had a Life, it's like this would be her <laughs> life. It's just really chill. She's just like starting university. Yeah. <laughs> She's like getting used to life on her own. Um, the plot is thin. But, like, you totally f- have encompassed, like, what it feels like, again, to be uh, a teen or, like, in your late teens, starting early adulthood. And it's just communicated so incredibly well. It's a pretty short film, too, but it, it really, like, succeeds in its, in, I don't know a better word than vibe. It's just yeah. vibey. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Cool. I'll have to check out some of his so, movies. Yeah, it those sounds, two films. He sounds pretty fascinating. Actually, baby, I will recommend one more. Actually, oh, oh shit! Dare Triple you. recommend. You're never coming back. No, I'm just kidding. You're, uh, yeah, you're totally welcome back. It's fine. Oh gosh, <laughs> go for I'm it. Breaking all the rules. Um, <laughs> yeah, you maverick renegade. There's a film called Swallowtail Butterfly, and this is maybe uh, one of his like best films. Here, it's um, it's just about like a bunch of immigrants in Japan, and they're all just trying to get along with each other, like. Uh, what's cool is like this is like a multi-language film in the same way of like how Drive My Car is dealing with communication. Uh, the Swallowtail Butterfly is also trying to understand the universality of connection and how uh, we can break barriers through language and and connection. Um, it's really beautiful, and the music itself is also awesome. So, uh, Swallowtail Butterfly, I highly recommend that one as well. That's my third, second rule breaking part of the episode <laughs> we will allow this Matthew. <laughs> this is your warning <laughs> <laughs> noted <laughs> and what is this director's name again uh shunji ey okay cool i gotta i gotta look down look track some down some of his do, movies my yeah. friend yeah. you gotta go watch all three of those recommend <laughs> just me not you yeah just, no, just you <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> no i will i will john's got his schlock cabinet to, to sift through i'm yeah. going to i'll be there for it too <laughs> sure <laughs> but you're bringing booze <laughs> okay <laughs> all right dixon what do you got cool um yeah so i watched a new movie this week this is a movie that i saw the trailer and i was like i'm probably not gonna go see that and then a lot of people kept telling me like, oh, have you seen Air yet? Oh, you got to go see Air. And I was just like, uh, why? 1984 has been a tough year. Our sales are down. Our growth is down. Sonny, I brought you in here to grow the basketball business. 
People don't know what the hell a Nike is. What's a Converse? NBA All-Star shoe. There's nothing cool about Nike. You would have to have a pretty compelling pitch. I can tell them the one thing the other companies can't compete with. Our basketball division is terrible. I do not love it. Yeah, so Air, new 2023 movie directed by Ben Affleck, uh, starring Matt Damon, Jason Bateman, Ben Affleck, Viola Davis, Chris Messina. Pretty stacked cast. Um, it's about Nike. And, you know, in the in the 80s, they were a big running shoe brand, but weren't big into basketball. And they had a small basketball division. They were dominated by Converse and Adidas, and they just weren't able to break through until finally they were able to land Michael Jordan as a client of theirs. And I was just like, why would I want to watch a triumphant story about like the plucky marketers who made a bunch of money off the back of Michael Jordan? That seems kind of dumb. Um then this past week, again, a lot of people told me like, oh, you got to go see this movie. This past week, I had a date scheduled on Wednesday and she canceled on me day of because that's where my life is at this point. Uh. <laughs> and I had the evening free and I was like, well, I guess I'll go see a movie. And I was trying to go see showing up and I had some other things that I want to check out. None of the times really worked out. It's like, fuck it. I'll go see air. So um, went to see it. I, and I, I really liked uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's last collaborative effort, which was The Last Duel. Obviously, it was directed by Ridley Scott, but they both uh, were, you know, they were two of the three screenwriters and they starred in it. I really liked that movie. I was like, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll go see Air, see how it goes. Um, I, I did like Air. I, I will recommend it. I think it falls into a lot of the sports movie trope traps where, like, you know exactly what's going to happen, right? Like, you know, the underdogs are going to end up triumphing at the end of the movie and signing Michael Jordan and making history and a shitload of money. Um, but I do think the script is good and it establishes some some good characters. So Matt Damon plays a um, like a basketball scout who just just loves basketball and he works for Nike trying to find players for them to sign. So every year when the NBA draft comes around, they're looking at the top rookie prospects, trying to figure out some players to sign to wear Nike shoes out in the in the NBA and to try to, you know, push up sales because of that. Uh, Jason Bateman plays the head of the basketball marketing division. Ben Affleck plays Phil Knight, and he, he does a pretty good job as Phil Knight. They basically kind of create, you know, they make him as this weird, like, Zen Buddhist guy who is like, overly serious and they do a good job of kind of poking fun at, at Phil Knight in the movie, which I enjoyed. Um, Damon was really good in it. I thought he, uh, he put on a bunch of weight for the movie and I was like, really is this is the role that you're going to put on a shitload of weight for? It seems weird. Like this is not, you know, an Oscar type performance or anything like that, but I liked him a lot in the movie. He's, he's a very um, relatable character that you can really understand and, and root for. Um, Christmas Cena is the best role in the movie. He plays he plays Jordan's agent, and he's just kind of like the prototypical sports agent, like the um, you know entourage kind of character who is just every other word is fuck, and he's just yelling on the phone all the time at whoever's calling him. But he just does it so well. I really like Christmas Cena. I think he's always really good, and he's not like he doesn't get a lot of big film roles. But whenever I see him in stuff, I really like him. Uh, John, you will know him from Sharp Objects. Oh, yes. Uh, who's okay. the detective in Sharp Objects. Yeah. Um, but so I always really like him and he was great and you know, stole every scene that he was in. There's a lot of fun phone calls between him and Matt Damon or Damon's trying to call him. He's like, we want to sign Michael. 
and Chris Messina is like, fuck you, you fucking piece of shit. Why the hell would Michael ever sign with your third rate company? And they have a fun back and forth where Matt Damon's kind of like, uh, you know, nonchalant and cracking jokes and Chris Messina is just getting infuriated and yelling at him back on the phone. Um, so that was pretty fun. I liked that. Um, Jordan is really not in the movie. Um, like he is in some scenes, like, you know, a, a, an actor playing Jordan, but they don't really ever show his face. Yeah. I was going to say, do they do the back of the head thing? They do the back always, of the head okay. thing. I think the reason they do that is because it's like, it's Michael <laughs> oh. Jordan. You have this image of him in your head. And like you, if you have some random actor playing him, it's just going to take you out of the movie and not feel real, you know? Yeah. So I think that's, that, that was probably a good decision. Yeah. Uh, Viola Davis plays his mother. She does a great job in that role as kind of the person who runs the household and, you know, sets the meetings with the different shoe companies and, you know, has a lot of influence over her son's life at that point. Um, there's a lot of cheesy scenes in it that are typical sports movie kind of shit. You know, there's like, you know, oh, and Matt Damon is scouting the the play where Michael Jordan made the game winning shot in the college championship game and discovers something that no one else has ever seen, you know, in scouting Michael Jordan. And, you know, he's just convinced that he's going to be this otherworldly player that they should give this insane contract to that no shoe company has ever done. And, um, you know, it's like they're trying to act like these people, especially Damon's character, is like seeing something that no one else has seen, right? Like nobody else thought Jordan would be this good, but Matt Damon did. God damn it. He saw it from the start. And, uh, you know, it, it, all that stuff is kind of dumb. But for the most part, the script is good. Um, the interactions between all the characters works really well. Jason Bateman is also really good in it. So um, overall, I enjoyed it. And, um, you know, it's it's like I gave it a like a solid B. It's fine. It's a it's a good movie for adults, which is nice. You know, it's an original script. Um, you know, not like I wouldn't say like rush out to go see it, but it's a good movie. If you like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, then you'll like it. Nice. Does Nike have like any involvement in the film itself? Is like are they influencing? I the don't script? know. That that's a good question. I didn't see like Phil Knight listed in the credits, but I I wasn't looking that closely to be honest. So I, I'm not sure if Nike has any direct influence over this. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. The movie is definitely very flattering of Nike and like they make fun of Converse and Adidas and, mm. and other shoe brands, but I'm not sure if they had a direct involvement in the film's production. Right. I yeah. I see. I can say one of my coworkers uh, used to work at Nike for their software division and he went and saw this and he was like, they got a lot of good details in it. That oh yeah everybody at nike knows and everybody at nike is probably pretty excited to see that rendered there oh interesting the, he talked about the just do it thing and interesting some other stuff i, I don't know oh, he didn't go yeah. too far into specifics but he was just like yeah they had like some deep cuts for us it was interesting yeah is it just do it is apparently from uh some guy who was being executed and there was last words yeah and, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he said let's do it and then oh, nike shit. took that and was like well we'll just do, just do it <laughs> um yeah in the scale in the scheme of things when you were talking about uh, matt damon putting on weight and you're like that's the role he put this on for i could only help but think about uh christian bale and vice <laughs> and putting on weight for that role yeah. <laughs> um i feel like is this that was a much where, larger degree but yes yeah. yes is this one of those where does it start with like a, a how conventional is it from this perspective of this is a hollywood movie 
telling the story that everybody already kind of knows, but then putting a certain flavor into it. Like Ben Affleck is, you know, the director, he's really proud of it. I know I saw some interview where Paul Thomas Anderson gave him like some praise and he was like, Oh my God, this could be like my masterpiece. He just like ran with that. He's super excited to have it out there. But does it follow like the really kind of conventional based on a true story, like at the very beginning or inspired by true events shit or does it play with it a little bit more? Is it a little more playful with like, uh, I mean, history? there's some playful aspects to it. It's, it starts out with an eighties montage, which is a little bit annoying, you know, where it's mm. like, they show like a, where's the beef ad and, and oh, shit okay, like that. Okay, yeah. Um, I don't remember it saying inspired by true events or anything like that at the start, but that it very well may have. And I just don't remember that. Yeah. Um, uh, but I mean like it, it does make fun of its characters, especially Phil Knight, which I enjoyed. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's it's kind of your standard sports movie type plot that's supposed to be inspirational and and stuff. But um, I don't like Affleck is a competent director. I, I think his movies are are good. I've never like loved a Ben Affleck directed movie. You know, some people like really love The Town. Like I mean, the movie's pretty good. I've, I've never like, but I've never like you know I don't love Argo or any of those. Like they're all decent. Um, and like you know he knows how to make a movie and and how to hit all the beats it needs to hit and to do so in a convincing way. Um, I think really the reason to watch it is the, the cast and, and the, the script, like the dynamic between uh, Damon and Affleck and Bateman and Chris Tucker is, is, is really good. Yeah. Like, Chris Tucker's in this. Yeah. He? He's another kind of executive guy at, at Nike. Um, but you know, they, they all, they play off each other really well and there's a lot of funny moments in the movie. Um, so if you like those actors and you know, you want to see a story about characters that you can kind of care about and get behind, it, it's worth seeing. Nice. Um, yeah, I saw some interview cool. with Chris Tucker and he was talking about being happy to like take this role. How was, uh, how was his performance? Um, he was solid in it, you know, like okay. he didn't have as much to do as as the rest of the cast, but you know, he got some good moments, you know, he has some good uh, back and forth with Matt Damon that are are pretty solid. Um also the the guy who designed the first Air Jordan shoe, um that guy is a uh an actor that like I, his name's Matthew Maher. I don't know like what I've seen him from, but I know I've seen him before. It's this guy. Oh my god! Um, I've seen, yeah, I've seen him too. And he's like, he's he's actually really great in the movie. He <laughs> okay. plays like a character. He's like a bald guy who's just obsessed with basketball shoes. And Matt Damon comes in. He's like, "We got a meeting with Michael Jordan in seventy-two hours. I need you to make me a shoe." Yeah. And he's like, has a a, a hard lisp, and it, it kind of just plays well for that character because he's just very particular about basketball shoes and gets into the details and stuff. And he's pretty fun in the movie as well. Um, the ending of the movie kind of sucks. Like it's a board meeting where they're courting Michael Jordan and Matt, and Matt Damon gives deal? like an inspirational speech. That's not very inspirational. And I was like, oh. I, don't, I don't know. This really works super well, but um, overall it's a fun ride. So, yeah. Well, you don't want them to do a, where are they now? Freeze frame ending. Oh, so. they do. Oh, they definitely, they, oh, they God definitely damn do it. that. Yeah. Why did I predict this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Michael it's, Jordan it's a went studio on film. To, of course they did that. Michael Jordan went on to star in Space Jam. <laughs> they, they literally like were like, you know, it's like, you know, like, you know, Sonny Vaccaro is the guy yeah. Matt Damon was playing. Like, you know, he went on to do blah, blah, blah. And he did it for every character. Oh, and then yeah. at the end, they're like, Michael Jordan went on to be the greatest basketball player of all time. And then they put in parentheses <laughs> and the worst baseball and golf player <laughs> in his career. <laughs> oh, God. 
so you know there are cheesy eye roll moments for sure but yeah, yeah. You're, 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 it's gonna be hard to avoid those in a sports movie made by a big studio so it sounds easily uh digestible i could just watch this and be like, it is okay it's easily digestible there you go yeah really it's best moments just kind of feel like a hangout wow. film with those characters playing off each other getting to be in the boardroom and have those conversations around you yeah gotcha so cool two sports films in a year because you guys did creed three as well oh yeah oh creed yeah yeah yeah, yeah so uh did, yeah these are that. these yeah. are two sports movies yeah that i've watched now in the past like month or two and i usually don't watch a lot of sports movies because they all follow the exact same fucking formula but jonathan majors was in creed 3 so i've watched it and then this one i was like you know yeah. all right i have nothing to do and uh the time works for me and i've heard good things so yeah yeah it's almost like it's a it's a sports movie in format it's like trying to make it so trying to pitch itself as a business movie it's not like it, you know if you know oh, anything see. about how business works you're poking holes and things you know pretty pretty early on but yeah they they just have to like right. aside a lot of the money shit and <laughs> go through. Yeah, like there's a big point later on in the movie where Viola Davis asks for a percentage of revenue, and it's like you know Matt James like, oh, that's never been done before. Like we, there's no way we could do that. And they're arguing over whether he's going to get a percent of revenue, and then they're like, yes, yeah, so, all right, we'll give you a percent of revenue, and they never say what the percentage is. <laughs> like, wait a minute, like. I, I, you know, this is probably propri proprietary contract. But like, I have no idea if they're talking about, you know, twenty percent of sales or point one percent of sales. Yeah, like, it's yeah. just it, it could be anything. I'm like, how much is it? they're acting like difference. this is some monumental decision? I'm they, like, they I don't, don't know. Even say, I don't know the weight of the decision. That like, I haven't even seen the movie, and already I'm like, you could have done a whole scene where Viola Davis like wrote it on a thing and pushed it, a, you know, do a funny kind of <laughs> cheeky thing. She pushed a number over, and he's like, we've never done something like this before. And it's like the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. There's yeah. just like a gold <laughs> that pours out. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Well, I still want to see it. It so, sounds interesting. Yeah, it's, it's solid. It is what you think it is. Okay. So. I'm just going to, when I watch this i'll probably watch tetris and just bundle two branded movies together and <laughs> fuck it i'll go with it <laughs> uh it's idea. in theaters now it should be on amazon that. prime fairly soon it's an amazon studios movie so i, I imagine they won't keep it away for long yeah <laughs> sure we'll take us home yeah cool all right well thank you so much for joining this week on afterthoughts recommend or refute uh with me as always john garcia check out redline please if you're jonesing for fast 10 this is a good curb your appetite thing until that comes out <laughs> and even if you've seen fast 10 fucking watch it anyway because it's just great it's cherry on top really yeah i mean i can't fucking wait for fast 10 yeah. so you know. <laughs> and our very special guest i am uh matthew again aka gino hino and uh i of course i re definitely recommend all about all about lily shushu um of course, I'm again breaking the rules here, but I'm doing like a kind of a double recommend because you kind of need to watch the feature to watch a documentary. But um, it's so good. It's just so good. You have to watch this movie. It's just like a classic. Nice. I'm excited to check out that directory. Sounds pretty interesting from what you said. So um, I have been your host, Michael Dixon. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next week. Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. 
John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.